Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm joined with Summer Dean, a data scientist in our uh, marketing performance marketing group at IBM. Summer, I'm so excited to chat with you. Do you want to give a little intro? Absolutely. Thank you, Alex. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I'm a data scientist at IBM. I do lead a small team of data scientists. I have a doctorate from Cornell University and Prior to joining IBM, I used to focus on climate change and resiliency theory, and I used to build statistical models to predict the impact of climate change on fisheries and human health. But since I've transitioned into a career in marketing analytics and data science. Wow. Wow, that is so cool. Um, man, I wish we had time to get into the, um, the climate science. Um, but for now, let's, uh, let's stick to data science and um, and marketing analytics. I'm sure there's tons we can talk about there. Um, so, Summer, I want to start with a big picture question, and it has to do with data science solutions. So, in a company where you know you're implementing data science solutions, what are some of the challenges that you face um, making these changes? Absolutely, this this is a good question. It's actually a very very important question. Um, especially when we're dealing with uh, creating solutions that are meant to be implemented by clients, what, what we often run into is a lot of misconceptions about what a data science solution is meant to provide. One of the, like, like obviously I won't go into all the, the challenges that I face in my day-to-day -day job, but one of the key things that a lot of people talk about, even a lot of data science uh, influencers talk about, is precision and accuracy. The expectation versus the reality. The expectation is that if you have a machine learning algorithm that's giving you, um, providing you a solution, the expectation is that it's always going to be accurate. And, and that's asking too much from the data science solution. You can you you have you, you have situations where you can have a solution that's ninety nine percent accurate, but it's always giving you one result. And in that situation, and the, and this is an example that I won't get into the details of. Um, um, the chief data scientist at Google, Cassie Kozirkov, like she talks a lot about it and a lot of other data scientists talk about it. You cannot have a model that's 100% precise. That's just not how the model is built. So that's one of the main issues that a lot of, uh, a lot of the challenges that we do face when we're, when we're providing the solution to the, uh, to the client and the client has this expectation that the model is going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect and that's not how statistics works. The second challenge that, that we that we often face is that of data integrity. Now the clients again, like like again, you, you're creating a solution for the client, right? And so where where when you have again it's 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 about expectation, you have you have data that you build your solution on. But if the data has integrity issues, um, or if the if, if the foundation on which you're building your solution, if the data is not good, then the solution that you have and is not going to be as accurate. So these are two of the like main challenges that I that I face, and of course you have like along with those are coupled with how how you're communicating your solution to your clients, and you have. Uh, the rate of adoption of your solution 
at the top tier if your executives are accepting the solution and they have faith in the solution then really bringing it down to a behavioral change within the organization to trust the data and trust um, the model that's providing you what it is that you need to do next yeah that makes sense um let me let me step back a little bit and you know, I want to know also from a sort of an organizational perspective, how would you say, what would you say is the difference between an organization that's data-driven versus model-driven? Yeah. And, and, you know, this is, this is an interesting question because I've, you, you often hear people talking about organizations being data-driven but there's like a very, very when 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 you talk about the word model driven, you 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 don't see it pop up in many meetings or in you know many executives refer to it. But I think it's more of a theoretical um, concept, and it may have changed since I last heard about it. But but the whole idea is that a model driven organization is 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 analytical to its core. It's it's. It's a mature organization that really has the capability to describe the past. It can explain what's happening in the past. So a close analogy for that would be it has it has really great Tableau uh, capabilities, dashboard capabilities, or reporting capabilities where it understands what happened in the past. But a model-driven organization is its strength comes in when it can predict the future and it can actually influence the future. And that happens when you're actually using models to guide where your, um, where your business should be going. So that would be the key difference between the two. Wow. Is it possible to have both? Absolutely. So, you know, a data-driven organization can also be model-driven but I think that you have, it's more like a stepping stone. You start um, at being data-driven and as your organization matures more and it, um, it builds capabilities upon a strong database. So remember I spoke about data integrity and like having that solid data foundation and having those solid tools, then you build your algorithms on top of that data. One thing that organizations should be really cognizant of is you can have very, very strong, uh, you can have a strong data-driven data capability where, you're, where, where all your data systems are geared towards um, reporting. But if you don't have a good support base for your data scientists, then your data scientists are essentially spending a lot of time creating data to build models on. And that's something that would really distinguish a, a data-driven from a model-driven organization where you have your data scientists have the core engineering um, support to actually build their models. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, man, if, if only, you know, if only all, all business teams could have the kind of um, model-driven insights to, to predict the future. I mean, that's such a powerful um, capability. Um, or, or to, to at least have like an idea of the direction of, of where things are going. And I think a lot of businesses do try to do that. And the question is, how, how much can you predict? A, a lot of businesses do, for instance, like financial forecasting. Um, but, you know, 
I guess this is my question to you. What what are some of the like coolest model driven like for, forecasting models you've seen um, that help paint that picture of the future outside of the sort of standard you know uh, pipeline projections and things like that? Well, um, I have one one uh, product that I found really exciting when when I had spoken to the team, the team that builds the um, the Alexa solutions. I think that that's an extremely an extremely cool organization that that uses um, unstructured data to build a solution. Now, it's it's not something that's um, geared towards um, increasing the bottom line, but it's interesting because of the potential that it has uh, to use data to be able to predict the future. It's, it's really one thing that's interesting for me uh, to see within data science and just if you were to parry that with software development, you know, you have traditionally softwares were built using um, a very static understanding of the world. What machine learning does is, and what AI is doing is, it's using the same concepts of building a software, but it's using data to build that software solution. And that's data that's um, not static. It's evolving and it's changing the rules as to how the software should respond to the environment. Fascinating. That that is just so cool, um, man. I, it's yeah, it's an amazing capability to to be able to combine the computational ability of computers and also our understanding of statistics, and actually create these amazing models. And especially now that that the world is moving towards unstructured data, um, and learning from that, that's just a whole new ball game. Absolutely, it is. Speaking about the. Uh, you know, the career path or, you know, the path that one take would to become a data scientist, what would you say is the ideal path? There is no ideal path. That's the cool part. You know, um, I, whenever I speak to people about how I got to becoming a data scientist, it's such a circuitous route. And when you speak to other data scientists, especially like some of the very, very um, successful innovators and entrepreneurs in the field, none of them, you know, came with a master's in data science or a master's in statistics for that matter. Granted, data science is a very, very new field. And when you talk about data science, it's, when you even start defining what it is, it's, it's, it's still growing and it's, it's still elusive at the boundaries. But, you know, the, the, the thing that makes it so interesting is that it's, a lot of the people who are establishing this field are either engineers, mathematicians, psychologists, people with English majors. Like, it's it's such a wide spectrum of smart, brilliant, analytical minds that have have come together. Like even economists or behavioral economists and statisticians, and that have really come together to create this 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 amazing field. So, talking about what is the ideal path, I think that, you know, having a myriad of experiences and a little bit of quantitative and technical, and of course, having this 
the strong background in statistics and having a strong background in understanding computer sciences can, can make for a data scientist that can further enrich the field. You want ideas from outside to create something that's new and interesting. Yeah, that's something I notice actually in our organization. There are so many people bringing together various backgrounds. Um, you know, even like liberal arts majors doing highly technical work. And it's so interesting how little that, you know, your college degree defines your path. You know, it, it's it's about what you're passionate about. And it sounds like, um, you know, somebody who's really passionate about statistics and computer science, that's what you really need um, as your fuel. And then, you know, you can you can get the technical training um, and the experience and, you know, but, but what really matters is, is the passion for numbers, stats, um, and data. Along those lines, what are some of the traits or skills that, you know, a successful data scientist has both, you know, to be successful and to continue to grow in their career? Yeah, and, and, and that's a fair question. And I think that it, it marries well with what we talk about when, you, when, we, when we discuss what's the ideal path. You... It's, it's, it's kind of similar, like my response would be similar, but what I'd want to really emphasize is if you want to be a successful data scientist, you really have to understand, you have to have like a good understanding of statistics. Um, I'll, I'll go back to some of the people that, you know, I, I love to follow other data scientists via LinkedIn and their YouTube channels. And a lot of their talks are very simple talks. What is the difference between, um, you know, how do you do A-B testing? How do you, um, you know, very, very st simple, simple stats questions. How do you do a hypothesis test? How do you formulate a hypothesis? And, and really understanding statistics, but then beyond that, beyond having that basic foundation, also having that inquisitive mind and that drive to want to keep questioning and pushing the boundaries of trying to solve a problem. It, it really originates from there. Like you want to solve a problem with a very, very strong analytical mind, constantly questioning the data. Um, your, you know, ha having good coding skills is again, definitely like one of the strong bases for it. But like having the the, the inquisitive mind and having that scientific mind is very important. Some people learn it on the job. Some people do very well if you have like good mentors or if you have um, good managers that actually teach you how to do it. But then some people come at it from uh, from academia. That brings up an interesting question to me. Because um, it sounds like the que like asking questions is a very important part of being a successful data scientist. My question to you is if you had to choose between being really good at answering questions but bad at asking them or really good at asking questions related to data scientists but really bad at answering them, which would you choose? I think that you can, you would have to look at it from a different lens. Uh, somebody who manages other data scientists can be really good at asking the right questions. 
but people who choose not to go by the leadership path can also excel at being good at answering those questions so even within within my years of experience you know i've i've often asked myself that question where do i want to go do i want to excel and be really good at like being able to address questions in in a short amount of period or whether it's over a long period of time to, to build out a, a solution versus do i want to guide other people in helping them ask questions because it's really you can be good at asking questions if you're stepping away from the data but if you are extremely dangerous if you can do both <laughs> Oh yeah, I like that. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, that's that's good. So to anybody listening, you have to do both. You have to be <laughs> both working at the ability to ask questions and also answer them. Um and it, the the older I get being in the analytics organization, I I realize how important it is to ans- ask those really important questions and be in the mindset of understanding the context of what's going on in the business and being able to ask questions that help us make better decisions. Um, this is not always obvious what to ask. And 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 I think that you know one thing that we all forget is you're not working alone. You're not working even as a data scientist, you're not you're not working in a silo. That's really one of the differences that I found between academia and um working within an organization. To a great extent in academia you do go back into your little cocoon to answer a problem you're working with a team and you're working with a team of like really really smart brilliant people and you're and you're talking to them and you're you're discussing ideas with them and they're asking you questions but you're asking them questions as well and and that's where the collaboration comes in where you're getting you 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 you're building a solution that is a collaborative effort of like very brilliant minds Let me ask you another question. Um related to hiring and and companies looking for data scientists. What are comp- what what are the traits that companies are looking for, the skills and you know as as specific as you can get. Um what are companies really looking for in a data scientist? You know, this is also like a really good question for aspiring data scientists when when you go through when you go through job roles and when you're going through um a lot of the job posts that you see on linkedin or wherever um companies are asking for a lot and you know they they want you some of them want you to have um minimum 10 years of experience they want you to have you know sql pyspark or whatever it is that's like the new the new fad in data science they want you to know those algorithms and and you have an individual who's coming in that you may have maybe 10% of it or 15% of it i think at that point it really becomes a question of how you want to leverage your own prior experience and your skill set to be able to fit that um i find that there are different companies that that, that define data science very differently you know you'll have some that are looking for data scientists and all they're looking for is somebody who understands ab testing really well and that can run experiments there are some companies that are looking for data scientists where they want them to build um 
very specific kinds of models, um, whether it's structured or unstructured data, and, and, and that's usually specified. And then you have data science positions where they're purely looking for research-related individuals that are going to improve and further the field of artificial intelligence. So first, first things first, like identify what you're really good at and then read those descriptions really carefully to see as a data scientist, do I fulfill these? Um, you, you, you'll have certain teams that look for behavioral economists, but they're defined as data scientists. And when you apply for the job, if you, if you don't have prior economics experience, you may not be a good fit for it. Or then you'll have certain teams which are really looking for um, qualitative analysts. They define it as a data scientist position, but they're really looking for people who know how to build surveys and analyze them. That makes sense. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of, um, you know, you, you really have to pay attention to the details when it comes to what companies are looking for for data science, because it sounds like there's a lot of different kinds of data scientists with, with different backgrounds and and there's a lot of different ways you can apply data science, like you said, whether it's for research and looking into future capabilities, you know, advancing the field as a whole versus looking internally and maybe solving business problems that are more practical um, with data science. And, you know, one thing that I've learned in my in in, in my years in of experience is that you can also choose where you want to go. Um, you can choose to gear yourself. Like, I think one of the most difficult things is to transition from one set of skills to another set of skills. It's, it's a hard sell, but if you've really set your heart on wanting to make that shift, it's difficult, but it's well worth it because you've gone and above and beyond to demonstrate to some other organization that you may not know how to do something at this point in your life, but you definitely have the drive and the will to learn. Um, you won't like it's. And the reason I say that it's a hard sell is because a lot of companies are very, very focused and they don't they're not open to, to bringing on people who don't have prior experience. But I would say that if you cast a net that's wide enough, you're definitely bound to find something that is a good match. Yeah. And for anybody who, you know, might not have that experience, can they go online and do practice stuff? And let's say you go on Kaggle and download a data set and do a practice, um, you know, a practice experiment on the, on the data, find, find a cool insight. Do you think that carries weight in an interview or is it only work experience? So, yes, that can help. I think that one of the things that I've often recommended to my friends is you have, uh, you have now you have programs such as um, the Data Incubator, which is, uh, you know, which was started by Michael Lee. He's, he's the chief executive officer. He started this training and placement company. You have Insight Data. Um, and you can you can transition through these like quick six, three to six month programs. Those those are really good. Definitely demonstrating that you know how to um, run statistical models that helps. Knowing SQL helps. So you know I don't think that at the moment this uh, 
data science is still a field where there's no set requirement that you have to have a data science master's in order to qualify for it. Like I said, like even within the industry, there's such a broad spectrum of data science roles. Anyone who's really interested uh, can, can hone in their skills to get to that level and then grow, grow gradually from there on. And once you're in the system, then, then you, can, you can choose your own path, but there aren't very many barriers to entry if you can demonstrate that you have what it takes. Um, so I'm going to throw you a curveball here, and I want to ask about COVID-19 and the impact that it might have on data science just in general. Is there any kind of impact or, or maybe is data science being used in any sort of new way as a result uh, of, of the situation? So le- let me answer the first, first half of your question first, which is, which is you know, how, how has COVID-19 impacted data science models, or really has there been an impact as a result of COVID-19 on data science models within the industry? So let's talk about marketing, for example. Um, As I had explained earlier, if you were to think of a data science solution as a software that's built on prior data and that prior data is used to predict the future, in COVID-19, it's, what has happened is, is, is a disruption. Uh, patterns and behaviors, prior patterns and behaviors may have changed. There's no guarantee that they have changed, but in, in some circumstances, those patterns may have changed, which means that the prior data that our, our models are using to predict into the future, they may be off, right? So. And that happened very quickly. So how is it that data science solutions can actually um, be impacted? And how do you ensure that they are impacted? And what can you do to remedy that, right? And so yeah. we, ha- we, we, we have a term in, that we use, which is called model uh, um, creep, which is like your, 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 your solutions, um, efficacy uh, reduces over time. Well, in COVID, the efficacy may have, and again, quote unquote, may have changed um, over a very short period of time. Uh, One of the ways that you want to make sure that your model is still accurate and its predictions are still accurate is by testing and seeing if, if it's really hitting the mark. And if you see that your models are not not working anymore, you always have the option to retrain. You have models that are self-learning, but that may be like very, very, very few companies have models that are self-learning models. So that's where the data scientists and the human element comes in to ensure that your models are up to par. Now that's like a basic capability that most organizations should have. You can't really expect a model to be deployed and then it's just gonna run solo on its own. You always have the human, you always have the data ex- expert, the industry expert overseeing and making sure that the model works. So to bring to, to, to come back again to the question of has COVID impacted data science models? I'm sure it has. 
and in some industries it has so let's take a makeup industry like l'oreal and um you know they have a new ceo and like they were talking about changing behavior in a digital world women don't want to apply lipstick anymore or do they want to apply lipstick you know in and then the point is you have to go back look at the data and see the patterns if the behavior patterns are different from what they were a year ago the question is what do you do now um one way is you can continue doing some ab testing and keep testing your model to see uh if certain predictions work or not that's one solution but the other one is really simple you wait a few months and you refresh your models you use the data that you build on within the next uh 6 months to 7 months and then you create a model that uh or like at least enhance your model to ensure that you're capturing the new patterns and so you know going back to the question of what are some of the challenges in data science and what are some of the challenges with these models these models are not static beings they're constantly evolving and if and if the world around you has changed the model should be able to absorb that you want a resilient model yeah it sounds like the the greater the rate of change in the behavior of the you know of the consumer is going to um lower the efficacy of the model in terms of its predictive ability so the the more constant the audience is in behavior or whatever you're trying to track the easier it will be to model behavior in the future and so because covid was such a crazy change to our behavior um that you know that caused an issue where data science science models have to be remodeled and improved so that they can account for for that difference is that is that understanding that correctly yeah that that is correct but there's one more spin that i have for you which is what you want to buy may not change but how you but how you go about buying it and the journey that you take to buy it may change so there are certain aspects of the model that may need revision whereas some aspects of it may not so it's not all doom and gloom for data science the idea is to build models that are resilient to spikes and troughs say more about that what do you mean by spikes and troughs well the thing is that you and and it, and and again it it'll go back to building a model that's 100% precise versus a model that's maybe 85% precise you don't want to overfit your model you don't want a model that's perfect within the world that you created it you want a model that's in ge- it it gives you a general sense of what direction to go into it gives you a temperature it gives you a general direction not something that gives you a very very hard um r- a hard result that's going to be something very very concrete so um and and again it goes back into how you train your model and how you massage your data you don't want out like by spikes and troughs literally i'm referring to outliers you can have outliers within your training data but in the real world it may look like something else now if you buffer your model and you if you buffer the way that you uh, set up your data um if the world changes really quickly and really fast um when you have those uh when you have a good model that has good outlier treatments in it 
they a very fast changing world the model should be able to control for it it may not be it uh, again it may not be extremely precise you won't have the 98 precision that the 98% precision that you're looking for but it'll give you a general sense of where to go it may be slightly off and yeah. ask questions if you think i'm getting way too theoretical over here but it's it's really it's um you 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 want to account for those that's so interesting i i really i really love learning about this um you you mentioned that you you listen to data scientists or follow some data science influencers online do you have anybody you want to shout out that people who are interested in data science can go follow besides you of course yeah so there there there's cassie kozerkov i i really enjoy um her her videos she's the chief data scientist at google she has the most interesting short clips mm, yeah she would definitely be one of my favorites very cool all right well um you know so summer i want to thank you for taking the time to chat today and share your knowledge of data science and and the field and and share that with people who are probably looking to learn about it and and quite possibly are interested in joining joining it or becoming a data scientist themselves so um thank you so much for coming on this is a really great conversation thank you alex i hope this was helpful absolutely okay and thank you everybody for listening we'll see you next week <laughs>